0: This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Food Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, board-certified clinical nutritionist, health coach, and personal trainer. And I want to talk today about a topic that most people are familiar with, either on a personal level or just in life in general, but that is weight loss struggles. And this is a topic, like I mentioned, I think last episode or the episode before. It's not something that I usually like to focus on specifically with this podcast, because there's so many layers to it. And it's there's so much junk and cloudiness and murkiness that that comes with this particular topic, just from myths and things in the industry that are just flat out wrong. Um, So there's so much that we could go into. And, and, you know, if you ever see me in person, and you say, Hey, what are your thoughts on dieting? (laughs) You'll, you know, sit down, because I'll talk to you about for for like hours on it. But I wanted to just kind of summarize today a few things. Um, basically, as the title of the episode says, I want to be unpacking some weight loss struggles, and for this, I want to focus on four specific key pillars that are kind of at the root of weight struggles. Now, this list is the list that I personally have come up with over you know decades of working with with. Clients and with people on weight loss and and bettering their health. Um, It's not the only list. I'm sure if you talk to six different nutritionists or health professionals, you'll get six different lists. But these are the ones that I find are really foundational to nail down if you want to see progress with managing your weight. Now, I call them pillars of weight loss, but you can call them whatever you want. Also, a side note, this is in general terms, this list is in general terms. So it's not personalized to you, because I don't know you, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know some of these characteristics for you. But what I want you to know, or what you to do during this episode, is take note of these, take note of the ones that I list off and kind of the sub context to some of them and see if that's a factor for you. You can kind of personalize it yourself going through this list and see if any of these resonate and see if any of them are maybe some of the the underlying conditions or, or causes of your struggles with weight. And I want to say too, there are four pillars because from a holistic standpoint, holistic meaning whole, all-encompassing, That is the type of nutrition that I practice. We take a look at not just calories in versus calories out equals weight loss. We're looking at all these other factors that are pivotal in making lasting change. So there are four things that seemingly aren't related, but from a holistic standpoint, which I encourage everybody to find a holistic minded person to help them through this, because just simply focusing on one area or maybe two areas may not be cutting it and it may not be getting you the the complete picture of what's going on. So let's talk about pillar number one, lifestyle. Now this is an umbrella of other things. So let's break down lifestyle, lifestyle. We've all heard of it. We've all heard of, oh, I need to do a lifestyle change. And it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle and all that. And I feel like that has been diluting the true importance of lifestyle, because it's kind of just gotten to be this joke. But It is. It's one of the core pillars that I have found that needs to be in place in order to see lasting results. So let's break that down even more. So within the lifestyle umbrella, there is stress. Stress is one of the things that kind of weaves its way into multiple pillars. But stress is a huge issue when it comes to health and when it comes to managing your weight. For people who are under a lot of stress constantly, they find it hard to get to a balanced weight. And it can come from both both angles. So a lot of times you have when, when somebody's under stress, they kind of go one of two ways, not always, but but usually one of two ways. Either you're the type of person that when you're under stress, you don't eat at all, meaning you're so like your stress hormones cause a suppression in your appetite and you end up not eating, you can see a little bit of inadvertent weight loss, not the healthy kind, but an inadvertent weight loss because you're malnourished and underfeeding. Now, on the flip side of that, for some people, stress causes overeating or, or eating foods that maybe they don't normally have or eating a frequency that they don't normally have or a quantity that they don't normally have. So that can cause a weight gain and it can cause a fluctuation in metabolism. Um, so it kind of can go two different ways. So knowing what type of person you are under stress can be helpful when you know that there's a stressful event coming up or what have you. Um, Also, I'd like to point out that it's fascinating that some people have different patterns of eating under different types of stress. So if it's more of a negative stress, for example, like, you know, in college or if you're you were studying for a lot of tests and finals and all of that, maybe you are so focused and stressed out that you didn't eat. Yet when it's a stressor that's maybe more celebratory and happy, it's still a stress on your body. It's a happy stress because not all stress is negative, but maybe in those circumstances, you overeat or overindulge or eat foods that you don't normally have in quantities and frequency that you don't normally have. So it's kind of, it can not like you're locked into one pattern. You could be noticing that there are different phases and different patterns that happen at different points. So stress is absolutely one of the things that when I'm working with somebody, I ask about, we talk about, we put a, a on a scale of one to 10 and in different aspects, whether it's uh, your health, your work, your family, your life and General, there's all sorts of different types of stressors that we want to address because if that goes unregulated, then that can that can keep you stuck in food patterns, nutrition patterns, lifestyle patterns for years and before you actually address it and then things can kind of fall into place. So this is where referrals to therapists and counselors can be helpful. Not all the time, but usually it can be very helpful. Um, but there's a lot of different stress management techniques that we can talk about and, and things like that that help to regulate your stress hormones that it so it won't allow these fluctuations in appetite and eating patterns. So stress is definitely a pillar in the lifestyle category. Sleep is number t- is the kind of the second subcategory within lifestyle. Sleep is so foundational. I'm pretty sure I did a whole episode on sleep. If not, I should. Uh, Sleep is just so foundational. We've all been there where whether you've had babies and you've been up at random nights or random times throughout the night and you go like months or even years without getting a solid night's sleep, you know how foundational sleep is. Uh, And, you know, when we take a look at what does not getting enough sleep do to to our body, it causes hormone imbalances it causes fatigue. It, that, that fatigue then trickles into not making supportive food choices cuz you're exhausted or not moving as much because you're exhausted. Um, sleep is just so foundational in all of, in every aspect of our of our health that it with you have to you have to mention sleep when you're talking about holistic health. It's just so pivotal. So if you're thinking like, yep, I don't get a good night's sleep, Focus on finding ways to get a good night's sleep. Now, things can be out of your control. Like I said, you have infants. Maybe you have toddlers that wake up throughout the night. You know, if you're in that phase of life, just understand that it's a phase and it will pass. If there are other things like you just wake up randomly, you know, I've talked to a lot of premenopausal, postmenopausal women who have sleep issues because of different hormone fluctuations and other things going on um, that we address and we can take a look at. Um, so, what is within your control when it comes to sleep and what is out of your control when it's out of your control, how can you best support your body to make it the best possible outcome? Even if something's out of your control, if there's things like pets that are waking you up in the middle of the night, if there's things like temperature or, uh, you know, weather or whatever, I mean, there are, there are ways to remedy things or make it at least as best case scenario as possible with different sleep issues. So that is definitely something that you want to address and talk about uh, because it's so core and so foundational. So again, underneath the lifestyle pillar, we also have nutrition. I mean, that I think deserves its own pillar, but I had to kind of put it under the lifestyle. But it does trickle into all these other pillars as well. So um, I feel like it's, it's, it's being justified within all these pillars. But nutrition, so specifically focusing on quality of foods, I mean... The diet industry has taught us that we have to restrict, but quantity of quality foods is super important. Habits are also something that needs to be addressed when you're looking at managing your weight or improving your health in general. All of these things will improve your health. So quantity of foods, quality of foods. Are you having foods that have a lot of chemical ingredients? Are you having foods that are causing reactions within your body? Those are not supporting you. Uh, habits around foods, beliefs around foods. Are you under the belief that you can't have, quote unquote, can't have certain foods because they will cause weight gain or they will cause something. Uh, Beliefs around uh, how often somebody should eat, how much somebody should eat, beliefs around dieting in general, beliefs around uh, what is good for your body or not. There's all sorts of beliefs out there when it comes to nutrition. So are some of your beliefs holding you back? other things are patterns of eating. So I talk a lot about patterns of eating and eating styles with people. So patterns of eating is are you are you intermittent fasting? Are you skipping breakfast? Do you not have lunch? Are you doubling up on snacks, are you, you know, finding these little patterns that we all kind of find ourselves in, because we are creatures of habits, and we form these patterns and habits, and we tend to stick with them. So are any of your specific patterns, and I have a huge list of patterns that I go over with people, are any of those uh, impacting your ability to manage your health and your weight? Um, Also, the eating styles is super important. So eating styles would be do you stand while you eat? Do you eat fast? Are you a fast eater? Are you a distracted eater? Those are all eating styles that all factor in. We all have an eating style. So, are is the way that you're eating right now with your patterns, your beliefs, your habits, your style of eating is that impeding you from or preventing you from making progress with your health or with your weight? Just something to think about. It goes you know, there's there's so much more that goes into it besides Uh, how many calories did you have today? It's just so much more that goes into it that I can't stress enough. So uh, the uh, the other thing with lifestyle that I wanted to mention is exercise or movement. So again, the diet industry makes you think you have to burn off every calorie that you ever consume, which I hope by now we all know is not true. It is not true. That's not how the human body works. But what we do need to factor in is are you physically moving around enough in the right types of movements in the right timing of movement in the right, you know, intensity of movement to help support your body, we need to move our muscles, our muscles are made and designed to move our bodies were created to move we weren't created to sit at desks for eight hours a day and then sit in a car for an hour a day and then sit on the couch for three hours and then lay in bed that is the pattern that a lot of us have gotten into because of our lifestyle and because of our work needs and and all of that but that's not necessarily the ideal outcome for your body and what your body was designed to do so exercise can be a scary word for some people Some people have such a negative belief around exercise, maybe you you over exercise in your youth or in your, you know, preteens or teens or whatever or your college years and you're burnt out of it. Or maybe you are so hyper focused on burning calories and making as much, you know, movement as possible that you just got so tired of it. And it's just exhausting to even think about exercise doesn't have to look like that. In fact, it shouldn't look like that. What exercise, or I just like to call it movement, what movement should be is moving your body in ways that de-stresses you and that helps support your body and that utilizes as many muscle groups as possible. Because for muscles, it's it's a use it or lose it situation. If you're not using those muscles to the extent at which they are designed to use, That means you're not gaining muscle, you're not building muscle, you're not, you know, strengthening those muscles. And, you know, you tack on years and years and decades and decades of doing that and you have atrophy, your muscles will shrink down, they're not as strong, you become weaker, then there's balance issues, there's all sorts of things that happen when we don't actively use and engage our muscles regularly. Now, does that mean you have to go and sweat it out in the gym for four hours every single day? No, unless you like that but really, I most people shouldn't be doing that. It's really not supportive for your hormones. But that's an aside. Um, Finding the the movement that you do enjoy. And as a bonus, when you do find that movement that you do enjoy, it de-stresses you, it helps you sleep better. Many people find that when they're in a an active movement or exercise routine, they naturally eat a little bit more supportive as well. So it can be one of those domino goals that kind of factor in and filter into other areas of our lifestyle and our health just by doing the one thing. So a good well-rounded exercise or movement routine will include the three kind of keys for exercise. That's strength training or you know whether that's just body weight or free weights or you do go to a gym and you lift heavier weights whatever lift something heavy, pick it up, put it down, lift it heavy, um, or or heavy for you, you know, what's going to be challenging for you in a safe way, of course. Um, the other thing is more of the cardiovascular movement, aerobic type of activity, because we do need to strengthen our heart and lungs and, and that cardiovascular system. So it doesn't mean you have to become a runner if you don't like to run. It could be dancing, it could be walking, it could be swimming, it could be biking, it could be gardening, anything that's going to elevate your heart rate for an extended period of time. And I don't mean elevate like you have to be completely out of breath the entire time. I just mean you your heart rate is higher than what it is when it's sitting. Now we can get into all the the levels and the phases and the heart rate zones and all of that and whether or not that is a a myth or not, we can get into all that if we on another episode, I don't want to tackle it and divert too much from what we're talking about here. But just know none of that. You don't have to know any of that you just simply have to move intentionally regularly all day long. Uh, and then of course, the the third component of that is stretching and flexibility, we have got to stretch, especially if you do have a desk job, which you can't change, or you do sit in a car or uh, in transportation, you know, for an extended period of time, we have to stretch because those those joints, those hips, those knees, those back, like all of that can really get tight. And that can prohibit us from moving and having full range motion and, and that can cause pain and health issues. So. So movement is is a p- pivotal part of anyone's holistic exercise routine and and if you are not in a movement routine, talk to somebody about getting in a movement routine. That is uh that's a really key and imp- important part of anyone's health. Okay. So pillar number 2. So that was lifestyle. That was number 1 was lifestyle. Pillar number 2 is hormones. Hormones absolutely run the show. Now when it comes to hormones that impact metabolism and hormones that impact appetite and hormones that impact weight and, and weight gain or uh, not being able to lose weight. There are some that are more important than others to pay attention to, but all hormones need to be balanced for anyone for for optimal health. Now, kind of some of the, the key hormones are, uh, I think the first thing people think about, or one of the first things that people think about when they have um, weight gain or or metabolic changes is their thyroid. And their thyroid is a gland that sits in your throat, like right on the outside of your throat. And it does pump out some metabolically important hormones. Um, but it's not the be all end all. Like if you notice a weight gain, it doesn't mean that your thyroid is, has, you know, all of a sudden crapped out. It, it, is one source and it's one contributor. And it is important, especially if you have a family history of any thyroid conditions, whether it's hyper, hypo, Hashimoto's, any of those conditions within your family, it's important to check out and and just see if your numbers are in balance. Now, another one that's important that does factor into stress from from uh, pillar number one is cortisol. So cortisol is one of the fight or flight hormones, uh, similar to adrenaline, that can impact your appetite and it can impact weight in kind of a, a secondary impact. So when you're under stress, whether it's perceived stress, mentally, mentally perceived stress, actual physical stress, like you haven't been sleeping and you're starving yourself, or you're overexercising, those are all physical stressors. Whether you are under stress, your body does emit cortisol uh, because it thinks it's under under attack. It's it's as preventative. It's gonna it's the hormone that helps you get ready to fight or flee something. So when you are under a deadline or you're under some sort of physical, mental stressor, your body is going to release that because it thinks it needs to fight or flee something. So when cortisol is released, again, this is where people are very individual. So so for some people, when cortisol is elevated, they don't feel hungry at all. And this is, I would say, can be pretty common because when you think about it, if you were needing to fight or flee a bear, or some sort of giant thing, animal, whatever, you don't need your body to feel hungry. Your body needs all of its available resources to go to the muscles and to go to the heart and to go to the brain and to be able to think and run and run quickly and all of that and fight things. So it doesn't need to feel hungry. So it suppresses the appetite and suppresses the digestive system. Now, cortisol, when elevated, also... Because it is utilizing glucose, and we're getting a little sciencey here, but because it, it you it releases glucose into the bloodstream for the purpose of energy to fight or flee something. When glucose is released into the bloodstream, insulin is also released into the bloodstream to help regulate it and help get the glucose where it needs to go in the body. So when your insulin is elevated chronically, if you're under stress all day long or weekly or daily or whatever, that is inflammatory. That can cause issues with metabolism. That can cause issues with inflammation. That can cause irritation in the body. So those are things to consider. If you are under a lot of stress and you have elevated cortisol or cortisol spikes inappropriately throughout the day at various times, that can impact your sleep. That can impact your stress. That can impact your appetite. So it kind of feeds into all of these things. And it can store weight because, again, when your body is under attack mode it's just thinking we need to save resources we need to we need to make sure that we have enough resources to fight or flee something going forward so um again that that ties into stress but it's also a hormone so i wanted to mention it here also we we want to not only look at which hormones are off balance when there's you know metabolic or weight issues but that's a symptom right? Like we're searching for a symptom. That's not a cause. Hormones being off balance is not a cause. It may lead to weight gain. But again, weight is a symptom. Hormone off balance is a symptom. Something has caused that symptom. That's what we're trying to find. We're not, we're not just like, oh, cool, we identified the thyroid's off. Awesome. No, we want to get to the root of what caused the thyroid to get off in the first place. So that that's just something that I, I think people tend to miss. They just think, oh, my thyroid's off. I'm just gonna slap some medicine on it. I'm good to go. But maybe figuring out what caused the imbalance in the thyroid or whatever hormone it is in the first place might be even more important. From a nutrition and lifestyle perspective, this could be things like your nutrition or lack of nutrients or an excess of other food ingredients or, you know, chemicals in your diet, could be food sensitivities causing hormone imbalances, could be the quality of the food, the quantity of the food, the lack of sleep, over exercising, all of these things can throw your body off of balance. So don't only look at which hormone is potentially off. Okay, think a little bit deeper as to what's causing it to be off. And then you can attack that. and and set goals and and do specific targeted things around that. Okay, so the third pillar is digestion. And again, all of these kind of feed into each other, no pun intended, but they all kind of go together. So the big thing with digestion, when we think about weight gain, or not being able to lose weight, a lot of people don't think about malabsorption or, or malnourishment. And this is an important thing to think about when somebody has an elevated weight or uh, they're they're dealing with weight issues. Always look at malnutrition. Because even if somebody is classified as obese or mor- morbidly obese or all these like icky labels that that doctors place on people, you can still be malnourished. Because malnourished, mal means bad and nourish is nutrients or or, you know, nourishment. So you're getting bad nutrients. It doesn't mean you're being underfed. That's a difference. It's not underfed. Malnourishment does not mean always underfed. It means you're not getting the nutrients that you need. So for somebody on the standard American diet or the SAD diet, when you're getting processed things, packaged baked goods, um, poor quality you know, chicken nuggets, pastas, things that are nutrient depleted. If you're getting all of those and filling up on all of those and not getting the vitamins, minerals, all the, the good quality things that your body needs, that's, you're not getting those nutrients. You're malnourished. You're not getting those. You're getting other things that your body doesn't need like chemicals and, and all of that. Your body doesn't need that. It needs the nutrients so you can be malnourished. When it comes to your digestive system, Malabsorption is a little bit different. So malabsorption means you're not absorbing things as you properly should. So from a digestive tract standpoint, that can be caused by, again, your nutrition and what you're choosing to eat. And are you sensitive to certain food, uh, foods in general or food ingredients that's causing inflammation when you have something that you're sensitive to or a, like a, a certain chemical or coloring or dye or whatever in the food? If your body is sensitive to that and it's causing it irritation and inflammation, that can disrupt the absorption of other nutrients that happens in your gut. So that can lead to malabsorption of things and you can become nutrient deficient in things simply because you're having foods, you're having more of the foods that cause irritation than you're having of that you can actually absorb. And when you are malnourished or not absorbing nutrients as you should, that can lead your body to send signals for more cravings of foods. So when you think about it from your body's perspective, it needs hundred percent of the certain vitamins, minerals, macronutrients, all of that in a day. So it can function, create hormones, filter out waste, pump your blood, all of that. It needs a certain amount of nutrients to do that. If it's not getting those nutrients, it's going to send signals like hello, we need more vitamin A or hello, we need more glucose or hello, we need more fatty acids or whatever. It's going to send signals, but how we interpret that is hunger or cravings for certain things. So when you're getting foods that are nutrient depleted and not providing any vitamins or minerals, just because you're physically putting things in your body doesn't mean your body is getting nutrients from it. So we have to be careful with that. Um, and and understanding the difference of that. So it will send, if you're having breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a bunch of snacks that are just processed foods with very little nutrients in it, your body will continue to send signals to you for cravings. And a lot of times it comes out as sugar or carbohydrate-rich food cravings because it knows it needs glucose to function. And it's going to send you cravings for foods that are high in glucose, which is sugar and which is carbohydrates. So that's a lot of times why you get some of those cravings. So take a look at that. Are you having sugar cravings? Are you maybe nutrient depleted in some of the foods that you're having? And is that a tweak that we need to make? The microbiome is also important here. So you can't talk about digestive system or digestion without mentioning the microbiome. Within the microbiome, hormones are created and processed. Hunger and full cues and signaling hormones are here. And, and it's impacted by, again, the quality of the foods that we have. You can change your microbiome. Theoretically, you could change your microbiome with each meal. There's a shift that can happen with each foods that you have. Maybe not completely. It's not a complete overhaul, but it can. It will definitely impact it. And it can, uh, you know, within one meal, we can impair the microbiome or we can help support it, right? There's a big difference by having something that has a lot of chemicals and sugar alcohols and things that, that impair a microbiome versus having fiber-rich, antioxidant-rich, fruits and vegetable-rich foods that help support the microbiome, that it can use the tools that from the foods that we just gave it. Um, there are also, this is fascinating, and this is this is in its infancy, so I haven't really mentioned it all too much yet on the podcast, but it, I just want to briefly touch on it here. There are studies being done on fecal transplants, which is exactly what it is, what it sounds like. It's taking the fecal sample from a person. Now, this is... this. Study is specifically done on weight management. It's taking the fecal sample from a person with what is considered a healthy weight range. You know, just that's how they phrase it. And they're putting that sample into the body of a person not in a healthy weight range. And the person who received that transplant begins to lose weight. Now, again, it's in its infancy, but it's showing the magnitude that the microbiome and bacteria within our body can play, all because of what the microbiome contributes in the grand scheme of things, which is hormone balancing, mood, energy, hunger, full cues, all of those things I already listed. So it's fascinating stuff. And I'm eager to see where some of that research goes. I'm dreading the fact that it's probably going to some sort of pill at some point. But, uh, but anyways, it's, it's something I wanted to bring out because I find it interesting. Okay, so the fourth pillar is when it comes to weight management, inflammation. Inflammation. Now, inflammation, we've done many episodes on before, so I'm I'm basically covering or or kind of summarizing all of this again, because I don't want to repeat myself over and over again. Um, But inflammation shows up on the scale. So if you are only measuring your progress by what it says on the scale, this is a factor for you. This is contributing. It can be. And again, inflammation can come from from your body's perspective. It can come from foods. If you're eating foods that you're sensitive to, if you're eating foods that your body reacts to because of the chemical components within it, because of food dyes and colorings that are in it, it's going to send its immune system to respond to something that it doesn't recognize as a nutrient. When you eat something that is technically a food but really not, like a you know a piece of candy, for example, or whatever, and you eat that and there's a bunch of chemicals and preservatives and sugars and all of that in there... Your gut gets it and it thinks, well, this isn't nutrients. This is something that, what is this food dye? I can't do anything with this. Therefore, it's an invader. Therefore, it needs to be fought off. So it sends its immune system to help place it. And how that looks is inflammation. So you then have inflammation in your gut or inflammation in your stomach or inflammation in your body because of the types of foods that you're having. And that can show up on the scale. I've given this example before, and I'm going to give it again. Where if you've ever had a night out, maybe you've had some alcoholic drinks, maybe you've had appetizers, maybe you've eaten foods that are really high in sodium, and then you weigh yourself the next day and you're like, Oh my god, I'm up five pounds. How does that happen? Oh, it's because of all this. I got to restrict, restrict, restrict. It's very rare that it's going to be five pounds of pure fat tissue gain over one night. What you're seeing is your body holding on that water retention, yes, because of the electrolytes and imbalances there and dehydration and all that it's also likely that you're seeing inflammation from the reaction of your body to the foods and drinks that you had the night before. So that's why that tends to go away after a day or two is because your body's inflammation kind of goes down. So response to hormones can also cause inflammation. So again, I mentioned insulin. When insulin is constantly elevated, if you're having sugary drinks and foods all day long, your insulin will be spiked all day long. And that is very inflammatory to your body. Your body is not designed to have insulin at heightened levels all day long. So it's it's inflammatory. So our own hormones can cause inflammation. And then of course other things like over-exercising um, that can definitely cause inflammation, which can inhibit weight loss, especially if you're only looking at what's on the scale. Sometimes inflammation is a factor there. So again, inflammation is a pillar when it comes to weight management, because if you don't get your inflammation under control, it can trickle into other areas of your health. It can cause sleep issues. It can cause hormone imbalances. It can be a part of lifestyle issues. It can, all of that can kind of factor in. It's like a big, huge wheel, a big, huge cycle of things. If you don't get inflammation under control, whether by food or by lifestyle uh, choices, then it, it will always be a factor for you. And similar to hormones, inflammation is a symptom. So figuring out, are you inflamed? Do you have other signs of inflammation? You know, We think of inflammation like joint pain and, and stiffness and achiness and whatever. Do you have chronic headaches? Do you have GI issues like gas and bloating and, and chronic diarrhea or constipation? Do you have skin issues like eczema, psoriasis, chapped skin, um, thinning you know, hair, that type of stuff? All of those things can mean that you have inflammation in your body and some of them can be kind of secondary and and tertiary symptoms of inflammation with due to malabsorption due to, you know, irritation within the body. So again, inflammation is a pillar because it's so prevalent and it's such an important part of getting your health under uh, in check, but it's a symptom. It's not a cause. Now, just to recap, so the four pillars that we talked about were lifestyle, and under that was stress, sleep, nutrition, of course, and then exercise. Pillar number two was hormones, so thyroid hormones and other things that can cause hormones to be off balance and, and you know things like nutrition and how they factor in cortisol, how that factors in as far, uh, with stress as well and sleep. And then the third pillar was digestion. So we talked about malabsorption. We talked about being malnourished, what those actually mean. We talked about the microbiome and how that is an important factor in weight management as well as overall health. And then we mentioned inflammation and how that can contribute And the things that can contribute to inflammation, like food sensitivities and chemicals and food, um, but also how inflammatory things like our own hormones and overexercising can cause uh, issues with inflammation and how that is related to weight gain or, or issues with your health. Now, I have a bonus, a bonus pillar, I guess you could call it. And that is mindset. So mindset, I didn't really know where to factor that in. so I'm just throwing it in as a bonus pillar mindset in terms of, are you labeling yourself as something? I see this all the time. I see this with almost every client I work with, they have labeled themselves as something. I'm not an exerciser. Um, are you labeling yourself as lazy? Or I'm not a cook? Or I can't cook? Are you labeling yourselves as a non veggie eater or a fast food junkie or a sugar addict? We tend to live up to our labels. And we take those on as our identity and as our personality. And these are things that are either handed to you or you create and just label yourself as a defense mechanism for your behavior. This happens a lot with kids. I see this all the time with kids. Kids are given the labels of like a picky eater or non veggie eater or whatever, they only eat chicken nuggets, they only eat mac and cheese, we label our kids as these things. And they just grow into that label, because they become what they're told they are. And they take it on as their identity. And it can be really, really hard to break those labels. As we get older, it can be really hard to do. That. It's not impossible. We do it all the time when I when I coach with people, but it's it's really hard to do that. So are you labeling yourself as something? And is that keeping you stuck in patterns or in a a health or weight pattern that you don't want to be in. So think about that. What is your kind of identity that you want to be? Do you want to be an energized, energetic, you know, parent or grandparent? Do you want to be a super active, bubbly coach or teacher? What do you want? What does it look like? What does your you 2.0 look like what is what are some of the characteristics and the personalities of that person that you are evolving into what does that look like i I would love it if you would write that down because i think when we write it down we get a very clear picture of what that looks like and what that can be and that can help us to lock in on some of the habits and behaviors and patterns and, and lifestyle things and hormone things that maybe are contributing to preventing us from becoming that thing So give that some thought. What is it that you are trying to become? What is your picture of what you are trying to become? And what labels are you giving yourself that's preventing you from developing into the next phase that you're trying to get to? Also something to consider is a domino goal. I mentioned it before. What is your domino goal? Think back to all of these pillars and pick maybe one if one jumps out at you one at a time or what have you. But what is the one for you that you believe will help support the others? So sometimes it can be if I um, reduce the chemicals in my food that will help with my inflammation, it will help me sleep better, it would help me all these things, and it kind of trickles into all these other things. Is there a domino goal for you? Some people, it's my dominant goal is sleep, I need to get sleep. So I'm more energized, I eat better, I exercise more, move more, and that reduces my inflammation and it balances my hormones. So what is your domino goal that you think would help support all the other goals? I truly believe we are all very intuitive and we know what would help or we know what this next step is for us. We tend to just kind of cloud it and clog it up with other things like, you know, diet rules or what society wants us to do or um, on our own kind of limiting beliefs prevent us from, from those, those intuitive kind of nudges that we, we deep down know what we need to do. Um, these are also known as blind spots, by the way. So blind spots is something I actually did a whole podcast episode on blind spots and how they keep you stuck. And that is episode, uh, 29. I just looked it up. It's episode number 29. So if you want to go back and listen to episode 29, if you're like, maybe I've got some blind spots, Go and have a listen to that, because that can sometimes be really helpful in breaking some of these cycles and patterns and just shining a light on what needs to be focused on in order to actually see some progress and change. So that was a whole lot of information thrown at you uh, about these pillars and other kind of bonus pillars and all. And if you're like, oh, my head is spinning. I don't know where to start. I get it. Just rewind the episode if you need to listen to it again. That's fine. Um, If you, of course, want help with any of this, I am always here. You can set a a free 20-minute consultation to kind of go over some of this stuff. I got to tell you, it's immensely helpful when you have a coach helping you remind you some of these pillars and some of these things that uh, maybe you forget because you're so focused on one other thing. I've had multiple clients tell me like, I totally forgot we were talking about this. I've been so focused on that. And it's like, yes, that's why. You have a coach to kind of redirect you and and continue to show you the areas that are important and how they're connected and help you uncover some of that stuff for yourself. Sometimes it just takes somebody asking you the right questions for you to make a major breakthrough in some of the things that you've been stuck in with your health. So that is what I am here for. If you would like to set up a free consult with me, uh, you can do that at foodfactornutrition.com. I'll also put that link in the show notes uh, below. Um, And we can talk about how, you know, where you're stuck and kind of how some of these pillars can factor in and how working with me or what the next steps would be for you if that's a good fit. So please schedule that if you feel like you are kind of stuck, don't just sit and spin and, and, you know, waste a bunch of time where some of these things are very uh, fixable and easy to get you on the right path sooner than later. Um, and, And we can definitely do that. So all right, I hope you have A wonderful rest of the week. Bye.